Welcome to the Stull Community of Faith podcast. May you be blessed as you listen to our Sunday scripture and message by Pastor Kyle Scheidemann. Mark 8, 31 through 38. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Then he called to the crowd. He called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thank you, Brenna. And now may the words of my mouth, but the meditations that are received from all of our hearts, be acceptable to you, O Lord, our God and our Creator. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, drive away the chaff that the kernels of behind might truly nourish us. And we ask this in the peace and comfort of the Holy Gospel. Amen. You know, uh, over the years, we really become attached to, to, to certain songs and music, and we can relate to it in different ways. As we come to church, you know, we hear music that we've heard for generations, and then our new generations, they'll sing other music. And so music has always been a very, very important part of our life. And there is, there's a particular song that we hear a lot um, during funerals anymore, usually from the from um, the male end of it, but uh, it could be from anybody. But uh, this particular song just delighted Americans across the country, and it became a signature song of this artist. Oh, what is man? What has he got? If not himself, he has not to say the things he truly feels and not the words of one who kneels the record shows i took the blows and did it my way anybody know who was that artist huh who sang that? Frank Sinatra. Frank Sinatra. Thank you, Vanessa. Frank Sinatra. <laughs> he, uh, he, he sang that as a signature song during his career. Um, and it was a coincidental song of, of self-actualization and self-reliance. And that song often defines the American culture. But did you know that that song that, that Sinatra sang was, was actually, it was written uh, by Paul Anka. 
And another thing you might not know about that song was that Sinatra, even though that, that song made him, uh, you know, who he is and, and made him known throughout, to, uh, but uh, he grew to hate that song. Frank Sinatra grew to hate that song. Why? Because you may not know, but Frank Sinatra was actually kind of an introvert. He was a very humble person. And every time he sang that song, he despised the me, me, me sentiment that the song represented. But yet America loved it, especially after the victorious aftermath of World War II. You know, self-assurance is not a bad thing in itself. We, we all need a healthy self-esteem to function well as human beings on our own and, and on our relationships. But when we dare to believe that we are entirely capable of directing our own lives and forging our own paths without the help of God, our self-reliance can become toxic to both us and to those around us. And this is the kind of supercharged self-certainty and brash individualism that can cause those in positions of power to wield it precariously over others. And that can allow one person to push ahead like a bull with one's own agenda, no matter who it is that gets stepped on along the way or that or that can convince some to assert their competitive plans for self-satisfaction without taking into account those around them. And that's just the human fallout. We haven't even mentioned what happens when we ignore God's voice. You know the, the old adage, life happens when you're busy making other plans. And despite our most determined efforts, sooner or later, we come to the conclusion that we are not in as much control of our lives and our world as we thought we were. Sometimes, no matter how detailed and how determined our plans, life just smacks us in the face and we are brought to our knees and we are faced with our human limitations. And that is when we realize that we need God. The trouble with many of us is that when things are going well, we can believe that we can just forge ahead on our own. I mean, really? Who needs God when, when we feel that we can achieve everything in life that we want and we can do it on our own but it's that moment when we realize we can't that's when we become humbled and for some that's when our faith kicks in others never get it and they're going to continue to strive forward alone for the rest of their days And they've never, they'll never realize what they're forfeiting in their lives in order to sell their soul 
for that little bit of ego and power. Human beings, again and again throughout all the scriptures and still today, we love to believe that we can be the masters, the captains of our own ship. Jesus would have us, though, think a little bit differently. There was some time back, it was a very popular bumper sticker back when we used to put bumper stickers on the cars, uh, and it graced many a car and a truck in America. And this bumper sticker read, Jesus is my co-pilot. For us to be on board with, with God's mission and not our own, Jesus actually really needs to be the pilot of our, our planes and our lives, our churches, and our world. We follow his lead. He doesn't follow ours. We assist him and we support his flight plan. He does not deter or defer to ours. And see, this is where American individualism can mess, mess us up as people of faith. How do we act as disciples and followers of Jesus in a world that tells us that we must be in charge? That being in charge makes us worthy. So whose voice do we listen to? His or our own? And where does our worthiness come from? Does it come from ourselves or does it come from God? From our time in the garden, we have always been challengers of God's leadership in our lives. We, we have an inner impetus that drives us to go our own way. As Vanessa sang, I did it my way. We want to be a disciple of Jesus, but that requires us not to be a good leader, but to be a good follower. Now, this doesn't mean that we should never act within a leadership role. It does mean that our leadership is always subject to our followership of Jesus, that our plans, our behavior, our mission is always subtext to Jesus' mission. And that's God's mission for the world. So in our scripture for today, Peter, who is the rock of the future church, is acting not like a follower of Jesus, but, but he's, he's disapproving. He's a disapproving critic of Jesus. I mean, he thinks he knows better than Jesus does. He has a better plan. He knows a better way, and he wants to assert that, that way even if it gets into Jesus' way, and he wants to assert that way by doing it, and that's what it means to rebuke someone, to think that you know better and mean to chart a better course despite that person, and you can just see as, as Brenna read that or listened to it, it didn't go over very well with Jesus. And so as a disciple, Peter may be a great leader of people. He may have the most booming, spectacular, bold voice. He's got great ideas. He has a rock-solid loyalty to Jesus. 
but in his humanness. Like you and I, he has forgotten not only who he is, he is a disciple, he is a follower of Jesus, but he forgets who Jesus is. He is the Son of God. He is the Messiah. He is the Lord. And this just after, this is just after they experienced Jesus' transfiguration on the mountain. He's already forgotten that. Peter wants to take the easy way out. Sound familiar? Just as Jesus was tempted in the wilderness to take the easy way out and to alter God's mission for him with the world, Jesus sees that same voice of dissension and temptation coming from Peter, his own disciple, the foundation, the, strong, the strongest leader of the whole bunch, Peter. Now this is important to, to understand. Jesus does not need Peter to change who he is he chose him exactly for the qualities that he had jesus liked him because he was headstrong he's loyal he's faithful he has a, a, a voracious energy for god but he just doesn't like what jesus is telling him and so his first reaction is to disagree He may be the feisty disciple, but he still can't outshout Jesus. So Jesus tells him what he tells every disciple. He said, your place is not to define God's mission. Your place is to follow it. Your role as a disciple is to follow me, not throwing up obstacles in my path. He said, listen to me. This is the mission, like it or not. This is what's going to happen. Now, help me prepare or get out of my way. You see, the way is the mission to establish God's kingdom within the world, to establish God's way for the benefit of the entire world. Not our way, but God's way. Not our mission, but God's mission. It's not our story, but it's God's story. In other words, God is God, and we are not. So Jesus teaches us that discipleship is a very high-risk mission. It's not an easy fix. It's not a do-it-my-way kind of mission. It requires us to jump on board of God's discipleship, swab the deck, while Jesus takes the wheel. You know, one of the oldest metaphors in the Christian church is simply the ship. The ship for early Christians represented the kind of adventure the discipleship was meant to be. It was fueled by the gospel, and, and out on the open seas, we sail from the port and out of our comfort zones in order to take part in the grand voyage of love and of mission. And so Jesus needs his disciples to be on board with what he needs to do. And sometimes they may not understand it. Sometimes we don't understand it. And sometimes they may not like it. And there's times that we don't like it. Sometimes they may understand, but they need to be on board with it. 
and they need to act as the crew. We need to act as the crew that he handpicked for his perilous but important mission, and that is God's mission. And throughout all the scriptures, whenever someone is called by God for a very special mission, there is a humble response that is a, it's always uttered, and it is, in a, it is a very special Hebrew word. Hineni. Hineni. It means, here I am. Or you might translate it, I am ready. The response appears eight times in the Torah alone. From Abraham, from Moses, from Samuel, from Isaiah and others, it means we are there, fully available to God, fully ready to engage in whatever mission God has in store for us. We are spiritually all in. We have put ourselves aside. Our ears are peeled for that still, small voice that gives us God's direction. And so today, as you and I contemplate our role in God's mission during the second week of Lent, let us focus on making ourselves ready. And so as disciples of Jesus and the mission to the world, we may not like what God calls us to do. It might even scare us. It may challenge us but it may help us grow also. But our answer to Jesus must always be, Hanani, I am ready. So get people, get ready, people of God, for the greatest adventure that you will experience in your entire life. You just need to sign on to Jesus' missional voyage, and your life will never be the same again. Say the word, Hanini. Say it out loud, I dare you. Hanini. See what happens next. In, Pro, or in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8, it says, And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And then I said, Here I am. Hanini. Send me. And then on in Isaiah it says, Then you will call, and the Lord will answer, and you will cry for help, and he will say, Here I am. Amen. Thank you, Lord, for being with us today and for helping us through this second Sunday now of, of Lent, through our journey. I just pray, Lord, that as we start to soak in what happened during that 40 days, that, those months, the years that went along preparing us to go to the cross as we follow along with the disciples, that we too will take on the disciples' role. But it won't be easy, Lord. I know we can't do it my way. We have to do it your way. And thank you, Lord, for giving us guidance. Amen.